Hey y'all, welcome to But Not All at Once, the podcast for people who, though they love skincare, really get frustrated by the way it's marketed to us. For instance, I have two moisturizers, one I use at nighttime, one I use in the daytime, both of which are labeled as intended for aging skin. While it pains me to say this, even my five-year-old skin is aging. We are all older today than we were yesterday, and younger this morning than we will be this afternoon. It's the way of the world. And perhaps if beauty executives understood that, they wouldn't be casting 22-year-olds in photo shoots intended to show us the mystical powers of, you know, snake oil mixed with diamond powder and pearl dust to create whatever ridiculous product they're hawking our way. Here's the thing. There's a reason Zendaya is glowing. It's because she's like 11 and a half, eats beautifully, has very few cares in the world. And it's not because of some drugstore cream that she is, you know, stocking in her bathroom closet. It's just not the case. That being said, I'm your host, Ann Smith, and I'm delighted you're here, aging skin and all. Today, I'm living out my childhood dream. Since I was 10 years old, I have been an ardent consumer of advice columns. It started really simply with Dear Abby at uh, my grandparents' kitchen table and grew to be Ann Landers in publications where she was syndicated. Then when I was in college, there was a website I frequented called creators.com that had many an advice columnist, all of whose viewpoints I just ate up. I have been a supporter and a tremendous fan of Carolyn Hacks in the Washington Post for the better part of 15 years, and consider myself something of an armchair counselor, a pretty decent listener, someone who gives great advice, but very rarely takes it, which is part of how this podcast got started. Sometimes I need to hear my own words fed back to me. And sometimes those words are the title of this podcast, which you love to quote to me. You can't do it all at once. And remember, poke, poke, hardy, har, har. Uh, No, I don't remember. And that's the problem. So you are welcome to throw these words in my face at a later time. But what I've done is gone through my DMs. Many of you send me things like birth announcements to proofread because it makes my grammar loving heart go pitter patter. You asked to borrow my words because as you've probably noticed, I have many. And I'm excited to share with you all of the things other listeners are carrying, swimming through, juggling all the active verbs. So let's get into it. First of all, I want you to know that the details on all of these are going to be changed. There are not going to be any identifiable situations, but I think that we can find a lot of parallels. I get message after message, text after text, emails, DMs from people I know and people I don't who say that listening to other women's stories helps them become a better friend, helps them understand their neighbors, really have an insight into someone else's world. And my hope in this is to give you a mini view of, you know, a dozen or so issues that people are walking through. A couple of them will put a lump in my throat. A couple of them will make me clench my fists. And some I'll find pretty simple. And the simple fact is I have distance and perspective that gives me objectivity. Um, And I'm always going to be on your side. I'm always going to be biased towards your protection and happiness. So hopefully, that means that you're going to be a little bit more likely to take my perspective to heart. 
let's start with dogs coming to visit. I got a DM this week from someone who is having um, guests for the first time since lockdown. Everyone is vaccinated. These are loved ones coming to visit who have informed the uh, listener that they will be bringing their two dogs. And she said, what would you say? Uh, Not the Dave Matthews song that just kicked off in my head, but genuinely wanted to borrow my words. And I'm happy to lend them out because it's so much easier for someone else to find exactly what you wanted to encapsulate. And it's also a lot easier for someone else to draw boundaries that might be tougher for you because your relationship with that person is clouded by years of history and emotion and familial bonds or friendship um, that might make it difficult for you to advocate for yourself. So let me advocate for you. Um, Number one, we don't invite ourselves anywhere. I literally had this discussion with a, a child of mine who said, when can we go back to such and such? I want to go back there. I want to call them. Can we ask them when we can come? And I said, you know, we don't, we don't invite ourselves places, babe. We can spend time with our friends. We can invite them here, but we don't invite ourselves places. Um, we are welcome to host folks when it's safe or meet them at the park or take them for a milkshake, but we will not be inviting ourselves to anyone's home. That's just kind of how that cookie crumbles. I hate that you extended a human invitation and received canine RSVPs. And I want you to know that I love dogs. I miss my dog terribly. Um, But I wouldn't have foisted him upon people who invited us. And honestly, I wouldn't have even presumed that any essentially travel and tourism invitation, especially after lockdown, would include my pet. Um, Sometimes it's nice, whether it's a pet or a child or any work commitment, a laptop that you usually take along with you to travel footloose and fancy free. I feel the same way about adults only wedding receptions. Yes, let's be grownups. Let's feel fancy. Let's spend some quality time together without worrying about who let the dog out. And man, I'm quoting songs left, right and center today. Um, And what time the children need to take naps. And if I need to cut these grapes in half. What if we just had a whole charcuterie board intended entirely for adults? No choking hazard concerns required. The same goes for traveling with pets. My recommendation would be to say, we are so excited to see you because it's the truth. And then say, we aren't ready to have doggy guests. If there is a particular reason, feel free to call it allergies, just redo the hardwoods, Our own dogs don't do well or cats or visiting birds, whatever the case may be, it's okay to spell it out and say, we are delighted to see you. We have several great places to board dogs near us. If you want them to travel with you, we have used X, Y, and Z kennels before, and I can absolutely vouch for how wonderful they are. Let us know if you want those numbers. Yeah, I get that you are going to say all of that with either a shaking voice or quivering thumbs as you type. But the key here is you draw the boundaries, right? You've invited these people. You don't have to squash down whatever reason you have to not want their, and in this case, the dogs are poorly behaved and rise before dawn and bark and demand to be let out and um, 
and previous vacations in a, a rented home. So it was neither person's territory, so to speak. They uh, really affected everyone's sleep habits. So the hostess is not interested in having that happen in her own home. And she is more than entitled. I'm sorry that your friends don't see things that way. But I would recommend that you just emphasize, we're so looking forward to this, man, we really needed this. We aren't up for pet visitors for X reason or for no reason. I get the desire to over-explain. That is certainly my tendency because I have a love for words and a pathological desire to have people know me, understand me, and see that I love them. And I'm not intending to hurt them in any way. But in the same way that no is a full sentence, we're not up for, you know, this dog and that dog to come stay with us is a full sentence too. share the offer of great places to board. Maybe ask a friend for a couple of suggestions if you don't have pets yourself and then prepare yourself. The very worst thing that happens is that your friend decides not to come. And by kind of preparing yourself for that reality, you can manage your emotions if that were to happen. If it's so important for them to have both of their dogs with them at all times, you have to weigh either your comfort, your floors, your heirlooms, your sleep, whatever it is that made you not want to host these dogs in your own home against their decision not to come. It is completely okay for you to draw that boundary. And if that happens, maybe have something in your back pocket like, I totally understand Maybe we can pick another time this summer for us to come visit you. And that way you can reserve yourself a little Airbnb without, you know, Roscoe and Caldwell. Those are terrible dog names. I'm sorry. Uh, Around waking up at dawn, you can sleep in your own room and call it a day. But we are grownups. And that means sometimes having conversations that make us grit our teeth, but drawing lines in the sand and knowing that it's what's best for us and hoping that other people can do what's best for them too. And also letting go of expectations. If it makes you so miserable to think about your dog being boarded or having a pet sitter, then I totally get it genuinely and sincerely. If you can't come, we'll just make another plan to hang out a different time. A situation in this lineup, I will probably refer to as Dear Annie, not just because it reminds me of Dear Abby, but also because if you met me before I was 13 years old, that's probably how you mainly heard me refer to. Uh, Pretty much anyone who was related to me or close to my parents did and often still calls me Annie. So Dear Annie, I have a milestone birthday coming up and a dear friend who wants to celebrate it with me. The issue is that she and her husband will not leave their baby. And by that, I mean, will not have a babysitter, will not join us for a special dinner with just a circle of our closest friends. What do I do? Um, I think you accept it. Uh, I know that's unfortunate. This is a baby who's a toddler, actually, and it's a family's first child. I know it can be difficult to leave your child in someone else's hands, probably especially after you spent most of that time all hands on deck under the same roof in lockdown. I, for one, know that leaving my children allows me to miss them, which is a tremendous thing in any relationship, uh, 
with your spouse, with your family, with your friends. It's wonderful to have a breather and come back just arms wide open, ready to squeeze every person you see. For me, much like with an adult-only reception, it makes sense to have special grown-up time. And especially if it's someone I want to celebrate and an, an occasion that they have invited me to after I brought up, hey, your big day is coming up, what should we do? I'm I'm going to want to leave my children with someone we love and trust, um, allow them to see that they can be entertained and cared for by people who are not biologically related to them, or even if it's with their grandparents, to understand that they can be loved by other people than the ones who live under their roof. That's really pivotal to me, and I think to a lot of parents. But if that's a line in the sand, that's a line in the sand. Maybe you have your lovely dinner with two other vaccinated couples, and you have a little backyard barbecue Uh, with your family and her family. But the best thing that I have learned as I've approached, uh, I guess, real big, fat, grown-up time, like raising children, being an adult in the world, is that the best thing I can do for my own mental and emotional health is to try not to take things personally. Often I will hold up my understanding my expectations, what I would do as the standard. That's normal, right? Uh, If you didn't figure this out, if you didn't live in a dorm, and you didn't realize as soon as you moved in that absolutely everyone and everything you thought was normal is not. Everyone grew up a little bit differently. Perhaps as my husband does, you keep your syrup in the refrigerator. I find that really troubling. Same for peanut butter, same for bread. What is a pantry for? And yet the world still spins. People earn livings, raise babies. They are not psycho serial killers. They just put weird stuff in the fridge. Perhaps your expectations for what is comfortable and normal are different than this person, but also your expectations and views and emotional readiness for things is different than someone else's. So if we can extend the grace, especially to someone who's close enough to be invited to a small gathering for your birthday, um, if we can extend that grace that they're doing the best they can, maybe with their second child, uh, which they're expecting, they will have a different reaction. I would be willing to bet that I had a tiny spiral bound notebook that I brought to my mother-in-law and my mother's house when my oldest was a baby. And I said, please write down every wet and dirty diaper, write down uh, how much he took at every meal. If there was a bad spit up, these are the times he eats. These are the times he naps. Do not go into him, you know, just because he's talking, allow him to rest and comfort himself and entertain himself in his little space during his rest time. It worked beautifully for that first child. But By the time I had a fourth baby, I would toss her to my mother-in-law who would say, "Um, when should I feed her? Uh, Is she in need of a nap? And I would be like, oh, I mean, you know, if she seems hungry, go ahead and give her a bottle. And, you know, if she seems tired, you can put her down or you can hold her or rock her or whatever. Okay, I'll be back when I'm back. See you guys later. Because your expectations change, your comfort levels change. And perhaps in a another milestone year, your friend will have a totally different view. But try not to take it personally. 
and know that if she specifically reached out, she obviously wants to celebrate you and is doing the best she can. It's perhaps not what you would do, but isn't that why you love her? She's not you. Also, it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to say, oh, I just wish that you would let my next door neighbor's beautiful daughter, I've known her whole life, who drives and is CPR certified, just sit on the sofa while this child sleeps for two hours and we drink bubbly and toast to years of friendship. Yes, you wish that. And I wish that for you too. And in that same vein of advice, it's easier to give than to act out. You just have to change your change your expectations, feel disappointed, and find a different way to celebrate. Celebrate multiple times. Honestly, don't we deserve after the last year, all the confetti, all the bubbly? Yes, we absolutely do. Okay, dear Annie, this is the thing I'm saying to myself, this may or may not stick, but let's go with it. I am not ready to party. What would you say to a, uh, this is someone whose future sister-in-law is having wedding showers and an out-of-town bachelorette party, and this person feels uncomfortable gathering. Um, A, I get that. It has been a year. Absolutely no one knows how to navigate a pandemic. No one knows how to navigate this stage of a pandemic where perhaps some people are vaccinated, some people are not, some people never will be. Um, Some folks are just giving up the ghost. I'm over it. I'm done. I'm just going to lick the sidewalk and cough straight in your face. Like, let's be over it. Um, By the way, don't hang out. Don't hang out with that person. But I think all you can do is be honest about what you need and how you feel in a way that is still respectful of the fact that it's not your event and you're really excited and you're going to deal with this person your whole life from here on out, right? She's joining the family. So I think it's okay to say, you know, do you know if people are vaccinated? Do you know if we're going to be outside? Do you know if anyone's doing COVID tests? What's our plan? And if their plan doesn't align with your comfort level, I think it is acceptable to say, I am so delighted to celebrate you. Send them a bottle of bubbly. Make a plan to have a patio pizza date with just her before the big day. Um, But you can't sacrifice the mental health piece of this, especially your comfort level reentering the world, and certainly your physical health piece. I think it's okay to tell the truth about the specifics about why you're nervous. You have a grandparent you visit weekly. You are a teacher who is concerned about your student's health. You have small children or an immunocompromised spouse. You are concerned about other people's health. And it's not just about your illusory view of safety or protection in a little bubble. But that doesn't mean you don't want to celebrate her. And you're super delighted. The older I've gotten... And boy, have the years started to come quickly. The more I realize that the, gosh, this is going to make me sound crotchety. I hope you know my heart well enough to know that if you're getting married, I'm excited for you. Yay. But the the way that we portray the bride as the center of the universe for like an entire calendar year, and we allow and enable people to get angry about things like, you know, my sister-in-law is pregnant. She's going to be pregnant in my wedding. My best friend is supposed to be my maid of honor, but she's now engaged. How dare she? And her showers are going to butt up against my showers when 
I want you to be like, yes, everyone deserves happiness. A baby? Awesome. You're in love? Fantastic. You got a new job and you don't have enough vacation time to come? We're going to super miss you. But look at you killing it. I, I want that selflessness and I want that perspective because these relationships extend well beyond the tiny timeline of a wedding. Um, but I know that's not always the case. And I know that there's cultural pressure. There is performance pressure in a way that didn't exist for me. You know, Instagram wasn't a thing when I got married. We put up Facebook pictures that was, a you know, with clever album titles. Remember those about showers and bachelorette parties? And um, I'm sure mine were like night before the wedding events. Not clever, but very, very clear about what you were clicking on. And, you know, we, we had very minimal expectations of anything but professional pictures. And now people are snapping what is essentially a professional photo shoot in their own backyard. They feel pressure to have neon lights against an ivy wall and balloons and props for pool days and matching outfits with their bridesmaids. Um, And the old lady in me is like, guys, let's just be so excited to be with our friends. Let's just hang out and sip champagne. There's been a lot of champagne talk in 20 minutes. I apologize for that. Um, Let's just relax and be together in a way that is not always possible in the bill paying adult job having portion of life. Let's recognize that we may have trouble getting all these people under one roof again for a while. And let's be okay with that. If the pregnant lady wants to stay home and nap while we go do X, Y, or Z, let's be all right with that. Let's not expect every single bridesmaid to cough up $2,200 for a bachelorette party in a different state or country. Let's expect that not only are we in a pandemic and plenty of people are in an economic pinch, but also we're probably not the only wedding or the only financial commitment or the only priority for their vacation time and their dollars. So a lot goes into this, and I would speak as much to the bride who did not reach out to me as to the future sister-in-law when I say, let's challenge the view that the bride is absolutely the only person who matters in this situation. Um... I'm so delighted for people who are making a lifelong commitment, but I know I felt when I married Bradley, like I just kind of lucked into this wonderful relationship and somehow convinced someone that he should spend his life with me. And people are throwing presents at me and I feel weird asking them to do stuff. And I'm just really happy and I want everyone to be happy too. I don't want you to have to hand over three of your meager paychecks um, for that to happen. But that being said, yay, Instagrammable parties, y'all celebrate big time. Um, just be really kind and considerate of other people who are nervous about reentering post COVID life, um, who maybe have different beliefs about vaccines or, uh, more concern about social distancing and respect that science is real. Feelings are real. I'm, I'm just giving you deep thoughts today. Um, okay. This is one that made me feel like a hypocrite actually got me a little choked up earlier today talking to my husband, because I feel like I come here in front of this microphone and I tell thousands of women every week to tune out the noise, to love themselves the way they are, um, 
And when I'm talking about that, typically I'm talking about, at least for me, an Enneagram one and a recovering perfectionist who has dealt with eating and body issues her, her, you know, whole adolescence and adulthood. Uh, and then when I'm faced with certain moments, I struggle more than I want to, more than I care to admit. And uh, so let me just lay it out for you. This week, uh, this is me and writing my own Dear Amy letter. This week, uh, someone essentially told me she thought I should lose weight and implied that if I did, I could shop her closet. Um, there was a dress that was too big for her. That, by the way, that that number size is one I've never worn, but that is neither here nor there. And it really stung. I typically wrestle with societal expectations and voices in my head and perhaps concerns about what other people think. And that's why I try to encourage everyone in my life to be gentler with themselves. And if you came to me and said, Anne, someone just said X, Y, and Z to me, I would laugh in your face at their audacity. And I would come at you with a torrent a stream, a diatribe of angry, fiery words to send their way and just such righteous indignation for the way that your humanity was overlooked, ignored, bruised. And it happened to me. And I was really proud that I didn't lose my marbles, but I did chew on it for a really long time. It did sting. It didn't happen in front of my daughter, which is a different issue for a different day. But I want to talk to you about drawing boundaries around body talk and relationships. I know plenty of you have with, uh, especially with your moms. This was not my mom, thank God, but um, with your moms or with older relatives or quote unquote, well-meaning neighbors, family members, friends, coworkers, people who, um, the people who fill my DMs with MLM company offers about, you know, I saw you had a baby and I wanted to help you get that baby weight off. And I clenched my fist just thinking about that. Um, so a couple of phrases for us to keep in our back pockets. I want you to feel comfortable to set aside the desire to always be eminently polite and likable because you can still be kind and honest. Just being the nicest person in the room isn't always the kind thing. And in this situation, it is perfectly kind and perfectly acceptable to say this topic of discussion is not on the table. We will not be discussing fill in the blank here, whether it's my body, my diet, my exercise routine, what size I wear, what size you wear what kind of food my child eats, what they look like, what I look like, who inherited what physique. We, This is not up for discussion. Let's move on. Practice saying it in front of a mirror if you need to. Prepare yourself for if it comes up again. Hopefully it won't. Hopefully you will have just taught yourself that you know how to form the words. You know how to stand up for yourself. That's a tricky thing. I am so confrontation averse. It is my great hope that people leave every encounter with me feeling encouraged and uplifted. But sometimes you have to take into account your own feelings, much like you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. And it is okay to say we won't be discussing that. 
My dating life, not up for discussion. What happened with that ex? We will not be getting into that. Please don't ask about it again. Those are not impolite things to say. Those are honest things. And truthfully, if drawing that boundary allows you to retain that relationship, then it's a kind thing. You're protecting them and yourself at the same time. You're trying to preserve that relationship and you need to be prepared that the second or third time you draw that line, you may not be able to preserve that relationship and that is not on you. So I am not a counselor. I hope that you have one, someone in your corner who can feed you these lines. You can bounce these things off of, you can practice But I want you to know that when people bring up subjects that are uncomfortable to you, whether it is why you're still at this job, why you don't have a husband, why you broke up with this guy, why you're not this size, if you can still fit into that prom dress, when you're going to have a baby, why you haven't given your child a sibling, if your mother-in-law feels sad that you haven't made her a grandmother, whatever the case may be. I want you to practice saying that topic is not up for discussion. And the next time it comes up saying, please don't bring it up again, or we won't be able to continue visiting. We do not have to listen to everything someone says to be polite. Politeness involves ourselves sometimes too. For me, it was wrestling with and coming face to face with the idea that I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be someone who gives you these rah-rah pep talks about your body in a pandemic and how the way you look is literally the least interesting thing about you. And yet, when someone brings your sore spot, your job, your income, your family size, your romantic life to the surface, you are going to be confronted with what you are comfortable listening to and what you are comfortable saying. And sometimes you have to prioritize your boundary and how they react is not your problem. And if you have the accountability of a couple thousand years every week, it might inspire you to practice those phrases a little bit more. All right. Our next discussion is not actually a situation that I have faced this week and had to fight off. This was a DM asking what I wish I had known when I faced uh, some really toxic and sexually harassing environments at work. She asked for the story, which is one I for sure will share because there's a lot to learn there, but it is um, a series of long and (laughs) painful dissections of what went wrong and who could have stepped in and, and what was a giant catastrophe. So instead of telling you uh, exactly what happened, I'm going to let you know what I wish I'd known, because I think that was the heart of her question. Um, Uncomfortable. These are a couple of things that have been said or done. I don't know what to do. I'm not ready to leave. What do you wish you'd known? Um, I wish I had known to set aside, and you're going to hear a lot of the following words today, so let's not make a drinking game out of boundaries expectations, um, or discussing any kind of like self-protection, politeness versus kindness, and and being honest, uh, and being comfortable with confrontation to some degree. Let's not drink around those. Let's just listen and understand that perhaps with a little bit of age comes some wisdom. What I wish I'd known is that people who were older than me, or more objective than I was at the time, had great insight 
in my situation, that was my husband, my father, and my best friend. I was uh, newlywed and in positions where I wanted so desperately to continue being a gold star employee, to continue being an overachiever who got the, you know, best English student of the year and communications graduate of the year and lined up for all of the wonderful things. Everyone was so proud of my output. And I was in an environment where suddenly my work product was not the only thing on the table for examination. And um, I was uncomfortable and didn't know what to do about it. Everyone else's objective viewpoint besides righteous fury was you need to document everything. I thought it was a little strange. Um, Who would even want to look at like a journal or at emails that I had sent myself? And it was right. (laughs) Um, Document all the weird things that are said. Document the conversations. Document uh, the times that just don't sit right with you. Put the date and the time on it. Send it to yourself via email so that there is a contemporary account. Tell other people so that there is an awareness there. If human resources, as in my situation, uh, was a joke that only made things worse, don't count on them to cover your behind. Count on yourself. Document everything so that when you are uncomfortable and wondering why, you can go back and reread it. So when people are telling you you're too sensitive or you're misreading things, you can reassure yourself that's not the case. Get someone in your corner. Um, I hate to tell women to leave a job that they care about, a position that is good for their career, something that they've worked hard for and earned, because it is so patently unfair that the knee-jerk reaction is just leave. Just leave. Well, nothing will ever get changed, right? If we're all just leaving the terrible places, when are the people who are doing the terrible things going to be called to task for it? I think those are two separate discussions that we should probably have, honestly, with an HR person. Maybe we can do that. Um, sometimes your peace, your reputation, your heart... Um, is worth protecting more than a gig that seemed like it was going to be a great stepping stone for you, or possibly seemed like the gold standard and just isn't. Um, I hate to put the onus on you, but I'd say document, 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 speak clearly. It's okay to say I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable with what you're asking me to do. I'm not comfortable with this situation. A great safe question I wish I had asked a lot was what do you mean by that? Because sometimes asking people, calling people on what they're saying or what they're doing or what they're implying, they don't feel comfortable spelling out. And um, that allows more people to hear it. That allows them to have to either fess up to what they're saying or walk it back. And in the meantime, it buys you a little bit of time to figure out what in the world you're going to do. I'm so sorry that you are not the first person in my DMs dealing with a toxic workplace. I just want to remind you that this career is not your whole life. So I think back of the months and the sleep and the panic and the physical toll it took on me and the fact that for years after I left, I worried about what people had heard or thought about me that I knew was untrue. Um, It's okay to be honest. No one can stop you 
from speaking truth, particularly documented truth. Again, I am not an attorney. I am not a human resources specialist. Do not write my words down and hold them up in a court of law. In fact, I wish that I had consulted an employment attorney um, just to get perspective on what I do in the meantime, because if nothing else, I wanted a paper trail to be there so that other folks didn't have to live through what I did. But the biggest encouragement I can give you is to be clear um, in your expectations as you're interviewed when you're able. I know that's a privilege, but uh, and also to be clear about what you're comfortable and not comfortable doing. If your job description doesn't include what you're being asked to do, if company policy or culture or policy, I already say policies, um, is in direct conflict with what you've been assigned, if something just makes you feel icky and keeps you up at night, it is okay to find an ally or to speak directly to someone and say, this isn't what I signed up for. Uh, But write it all down and believe people. Believe people when they tell you they're in a bad situation and believe people when they tell you you're in a bad situation, sister friend, and you need to find attorney stat. So I'm sorry you're dealing with this. And um, as I'm talking, I'm realizing we really, we do need to have a a toxic workplace discussion on the podcast. I hate that, but maybe by having it and hashing it out and improving the culture of the places where we work now and uh, clearing the air, it will set the stage for the next generation and for our children to be in places where it's not just rare, but unheard of and unthinkable and unconscionable to, um, to treat people unfairly, unkindly, um, and certainly in a way that's illegal. Our next Dear Annie question is two-pronged. It's from a woman who is expecting her first child. She has not yet taken her husband's last name and is deciding whether or not she wants to and asked both how I decided to take Bradley's last name and how we approached naming our four children. Um, So we have two boys and two girls. Our children's names were essentially decided before they were born. So we were not people who, um, I think my parents had a name set for each potential hair color. My mom had red hair, my dad had black hair. So they had, you know, bald, red, black, brown, uh, and then ended up going with something else entirely after they met me. Uh, that was not our situation. I knew when my oldest was born that if he was a boy, he would be Mac. And if he was a girl, he would be Mary Brooks. So our first child is Mac and our second child is Mary Brooks. Our third child, Chapman, probably would have been Chapman either way, boy or girl. His name is Chapman Collins. We toyed with the idea of doing Collins Chapman for a girl, but our strategy overall was discussing it before it was super emotional. Our last name is Smith, as you can probably tell, and um, you have a little more room to play with family names and creative names when your last name is pretty simple and hard to misspell. The other side of that is um, you end up being Ann Smith if you marry a Smith and your first name is Ann. And it sounds to me a bit like Jane Doe. But Bradley proposed when I was a year and a half out of grad school. I did not have, for instance, papers published and written under my name. I didn't have a brand of my own. I hadn't gotten my medical degree with his last name. I was 25, but I was just starting out and I was excited to have the same last name as him. And it was important to me that any future children would have the same last name I did. That being said, I think there are a lot of great options in between. 
if you are not a tiny, tiny baby with no professional, um, you know, developments and accomplishments under your belt, if you are someone who has made strides and does have relationships, you know, for me, it would have been relationships with journalists and clients. And I just didn't have that many. I was starting a new role and I really felt fine changing my last name. Um, I think it's probably pretty common that people go by their maiden name professionally and socially they are Mrs. Smith. I think that's great. Whether that means you actually walk through changing your name on all of the paperwork and you just remain, you know, Ann Jones in your office and Ann Smith in your personal life. And that makes you the Smiths on your Christmas cards and Mrs. Smith and baby Smith. Great. Otherwise, um, you can hyphenate. You can decide to change your name if and when you have children. You can decide not to change your name. There are plenty of families who either have separate names or perhaps are divorced. Whatever the case may be, blended families exist. People are not going to gasp when you walk into the elementary school office to sign out your third grader and the two of you don't have last names that match. The world continues to spin, I promise. So I think it honestly comes down to your name for me. Um, If you have a lovely name and he has a terrible one, see if he wants to jump on board with you. I don't know if your last name is something really not great, then I'm not going to give any examples because I'm sure all of you know. For instance, I've always, this is terrible. If this is your last name, I still love you. But if you have like a beautiful French last name and you marry someone whose last name is Pusser, perhaps you don't want to be Ann Pusser in the office. Perhaps you want to be, you know, Ann Villaponto in the office and Mrs. Pusser on the Christmas card. Or you and your husband want to figure out something and be the Villaponto Pusser household. I don't know. Villa Pusser. I don't know. Nothing, none of it sounds great, but you get the point. Ann Smith is probably not the dream. So if your last name is Pusser, don't feel like I'm, you know, punching down. I too have a name that you could probably laugh at. Our strategy to circle back to naming our children was that each child had a first name and a middle name, clearly. Uh, their last name was all Smith, and they had one name from my side of the family and one name from the other. I am a person who loves a good nickname, and so all of our children have endless nickname possibilities. Our um, Three of our four children go by some abbreviated or nicknameable version of their given names. And then Chapman, our third child, who's the only one who goes by his name, we, we don't even really call him Chapman that much. Half the time, if just for convenience, we call him Chap or Chappy or Chappers. Um, and no one thinks about it. Mac is short for McNeil. Mary Brooks is actually Mary Hall Brooks. And May is short for Margaret. So, um, and May also does not call Mary Brooks. We mostly call Mary Brooks Brooksy, just to make things more exciting. And because May could not say Brooksy, she calls uh, Mary Brooks BB. And um, her older sister gets really upset if she calls her Mary Brooks because BB sounds so young and sweet. And now Chapman's picked it up too. So all of that to say, um, maybe... I don't know, a couple dozen people in the world refer to me as Annie, but our kids have nicknames a go-go. Mac was Mac Mac and Mackie when he was a baby. And that's really the reason we didn't call May 
Maggie, because Maggie and Mackie, which is what, what the other kids were calling him at the time, were just too similar. So we clearly have no issues with nicknames. I love names with possibilities that give them the option to be, May can be Margaret as an adult, Matt can be McNeil, but they still have sweet kid names and they all represent a different part of our family. And and I love telling them about that. I love that Chapman's face lights up when he hears about a Chapman family reunion, um, that people said, oh, I knew another Mac Smith. And it's, it's just really sweet to me. So that's how we chose to do that. And I think there's room for absolutely everyone. I would love to find a way to monetize my obsession with names. Um, at this point, I could name Megan and Harry's baby. Easy peasy. I don't want them to name her Diana, simply because I think it's a little too on the nose. And it's already a middle name of Charlotte's, but Diana's middle name was Francis. And how cute would a Francie be? Guys, hear me out. Francie, Sussex, Archie and Francie? Come on now. So Francis Elizabeth? Yes. Yes, please. Let's do that. Someone has actually floated a theory that Archwell, the name of the Sussexes, the Sussex Eye, the Harry Meggins uh, nonprofit foundation, was built with Arch, obviously in the first half of the name to represent Archie, and that perhaps Well or L represented their baby girl or future daughter's name. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I think L could certainly be a great name for a little girl as a shortened version of Elizabeth. Technically, Elizabeth is part of uh, Charlotte's middle name. You know, she's, I believe, Charlotte Elizabeth Diana. But I think Elizabeth is a bit less specific than Diana, which the name just has such power and magnitude in relation, especially to Harry's family. I would love if Harry's brother was not named as he was for them to have a little girl named Willa. I think Willa is the cutest name and Archwell for Archie and Willa would be the sweetest, but I don't think that is bound to happen. So uh, my hope would be Frances Elizabeth, although um, I think Philippa and calling her Pippa could be super cute. But again, Kate Middleton's sister's name is Philippa and she goes by Pippa. So I don't know. Philippa Sue, who originated the role of Eliza in Hamilton, is a favorite of mine. So just plain Philippa would be great as well in honor of Prince Philip. But I'm excited to see what they choose. And I think it could be interesting. I believe that Prince Philip's mom's name was Alice. And so I suppose they could do Alice. And I don't know if that ties into the Archwell theory. But I do have to tell you, I just took a little break and ran in to get some sparkle water. Spicy water, as May calls it. And Bradley was running through with me the discussion that was had earlier this week about my my body or my dress size. And um, I don't know what pant size I am. I'm not going to lie. I haven't worn a whole lot of zippy pants, for lack of a better term, in the last year. I'm roughly the same pant size in terms of like jumpsuits. There are definitely things that don't fit me as well. But, you know, I'm five foot nine. There's a little more room for error. That being said, Bradley said, I am confident that if I gained 150 pounds, zero people would say anything to me about it. And we discuss the presumption that if we know something, that person knows it about themselves. For instance, 
if they are suddenly significantly overweight and they weren't before, that is not news to them. It does not require an outside person to point it out. Or, you know, wow, it looks like you're really tired. Ooh, it looks like you're eating a lot. All of these things are based on pieces of information uh, the person at the center of this conversation also has. So I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I love that um, this conversation and my significant chewing it over with Bradley has enabled him to see that men are discussed differently than women. It seems like our bodies are a little bit more up for debate, up for discussion. My dress size was asked in that conversation. And surprise was expressed when I shared it. And I won't be discussing any numbers with you because I don't want you to feel like this number's good, this number's bad. None of that matters. Um, What matters is that my body, your body, your appearance, your greasy hair, your crow's feet, your gray hair, your wonky tooth, your rosacea, your cellulite, none of that are A, problems to be fixed or B, anyone else's business. They don't affect who you are or what you're doing in the world. And they are not what will define you. I have a dear friend. Well, we'll, we'll get into the discussion. We, we've talked about that enough today. I think it's time for us to get back to dear Annie because I'm now just talking in circles. Okay. Um, the next question I got, oh, after our naming children's sta- uh, strategy was, how do we decide how many kids to have? Mm. So there was an episode a couple weeks ago wherein I started kind of going into an intro to our family's story. You can hear a rundown, a quick kind of top level discussion of it with April Robeson in an episode from last summer. But um, we're going to be diving into that more in Patreon, kind of a chapter by chapter situation, because ladies, it was, um, it was no bueno. And that's the other thing about my body. Uh, I look back at pictures from when I was worried about my weight, or it didn't like the way I was shaped. Even a year ago, when I had these discussions about no way 19, or what I learned throwing out the scale, I want to drop kick that girl. And I understand that body dysmorphia is in our minds and not about our bodies, because it looked amazing and very strong. But I look back on the sad years that I had. And um, I was significantly smaller because I was so sad, I couldn't get out of bed. Horrible things kept happening. And it genuinely, I remember one day, the only thing I ate was two banana popsicles and three frozen waffles. And I was growing an actual human. That seemed, Bradley was like, you have to help me help you. This is not, this is not sustainable. Um, So how many kids we had kind of unfolded. We had one child, beautiful, healthy, lovely, blonde haired, blue eyed Mac. We had Mary Brooks and then bad stuff started to happen, hard and challenging things. And I remember a nurse telling us after we had Mary Brooks and stuff started to go south that if we could even consider having a third in that situation, in that children's hospital, then we were meant to do it. Um, As you may know, we had a miscarriage and then a really challenging pregnancy with Chapman and a premature birth. And um, I really wanted a fourth and Bradley had been on board, but we I just couldn't put him through that again. I don't think he could live through everything that he'd seen and everything he had seen me walk through. And truth be told, I was pretty numb. I don't think I super lived it. (laughs) I was zombified and just survived. So I um, 
just made peace with that. How can I complain at three beautiful children in my life? And then May showed up on our front porch, courtesy of the stork. And she came out sunny side up and with a scowl on her face that said, ma'am, you have ruined my life already. And here we are, four children. Um, I always said I wanted more than zero and less than four when I was dating, not even dating Bradley, just friends with him. Thought that was kind of cute. Like, oh, more than zero, less than four. Um, Surprise, joke's on you. Okay, what do I do? What do you do for work exactly? It's a fair question. Chapman asked me that the other day. So I work in public relations with clients who want to either work on marketing and publicizing their business through earned media, through, you know, news stories, being on TV, being on podcasts, being in blogs, being covered in some way, or um, who just want help building relationships and growing their business. I do freelance writing because if you haven't noticed, I love words and it's the only thing I know how to do. And I'm launching Social Ease with photographer Christy Lynn of Christy Hollywood Photography to provide custom ready-made pictures and really lovely captions for small businesses everywhere. So I'm excited to share that with you next month. Thank you for asking. Um, It's too bad people can't get paid for naps because I sure love to do that too. Is there like a napping coach? I know there are meditation teachers and yoga teachers. Um, I'm really good at Shavasana, but we'll discuss that a different day. Okay, dating after divorce and breaking the news to the world. I got some DMs about this, and I actually know several people in real life who are dealing with divorce post-COVID. I don't even know if we can say we're post-COVID, but post-quarantine. And um, in the same way that we just dropped those keywords, expectations and boundaries, I think that's going to be really important here. Telling people something that's going on in your life. it's really, that's a really sacred space. And I think you tell the people who need to know and other people will figure it out as they need to know. And you can draw boundaries about what is your story to tell, is your story to keep. Um, I think the key is remembering as the asker of questions, your life is not really going to change by knowing those things. For instance, um, did you conceive these twins via IVF or naturally? I've just met you. I will never meet these twins. This affects my life not at all. Uh, why did you and your husband divorce? Affects my life not at all. Are you going to have to sell your house? Are you going to have to find a new job? Mm, I'm not bankrolling you. This is not my business. Not my business. It's okay to say I'm not really comfortable going into all that, but I needed you to know X. You know, I needed you to know this child is going to be sharing a life between this home and that home, or this is what's going on in my life. Someone very hopefully DM'd me about dating after divorce. And I know that there are really complicated algorithms and formulas, both in the dating apps and in calculating who texts whom and when do they text and how often. And when are you being ghosted? And when is someone just a busy professional? And I am very unfortunately not the girl to reach out to about that. But I want to let you know that what I've learned, again, I'm not 104. I've just finally had a bit of bandwidth in my brain after all the hard years where I was eating banana popsicles and waffles. Um, the, the bandwidth in my brain to notice patterns and to notice what's best for me and for some of my dear friends. And if you have a nagging feeling in your gut, 
if you are shoving a round peg in a square hole, you know that. You've walked this earth enough to know that. And you probably knew that even when you were 21. You may have just been gaslit that you were being too sensitive or it was just a joke and you're expecting too much. But your expectations are what they are in this situation. It's great to have a high bar. Um, Understand that you have a beautiful, full, perfect life on your own. And to let someone into that, you really need them to meet a certain bar. And it's okay if you have a desire to snoop, you know something's already wrong. If you have a desire to panic because they're not communicating with you enough, tell them you would love to talk this often, see one another this often. And if that doesn't work, that's okay. You are amazing. I have literally never asked someone, are you dating? And then thought less of them. Actually, I don't, I don't really ask that. I don't really care. I want you to offer up whatever information about your life you want to share with me. Um, you are just worth so much. And I think the one thing I wish I'd known in my toxic workplace, in a previous toxic relationship, and in everything is that you feel in your gut what's true. You're just talking yourself out of it. Listen to the wise people around you and listen to what your heart knows and go with that. Don't talk yourself into something just to check a box. Unfortunately, that's all the dating advice I can give you because I'm not great at dating. One day I'll tell you the story about how I trick Bradley into marrying me, but that's a different story for a different day. Okay, developmental delays. Um, We're actually going to be doing a whole episode on children who don't meet milestones, on how that's difficult psychologically for parents, on what it means when your child... Uh, is on his own timetable, which by the way, all children are, but sometimes it's more evident than not. And that's going to be coming up in the next six weeks or so. So stand by for that. I did have um, physical therapists for all four of my children. Uh, Two of them had occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, and early intervention. All the things, all the people in my house, seeing my laundry piles and me with unwashed hair, uh, eating banana popsicles. It was It was not always easy. Sometimes it was really frustrating, but it was great to have a deep bench. And it's always easy to look back on the other side of something and refer to the lessons and not the heartache, right? So we're going to do that. And we're going to talk to someone who's in those trenches so that you don't want to strangle me. Planning a wedding. We have an event planner coming up who's going to talk about life post-COVID, what matters about events, how to be a great guest, how to be a great host. I think we touched a bit on that. in my little diatribe about bachelorette parties. Mother's Day gifts, what to give. Okay, yes, I won't even read this question because I just have a little monologue prepared. And this will be the last thing I I bore you with today. Um, If you know a woman who's expecting, she has probably been alone more than not, both in the doctor's office and in the uh, sonographer's room and in every other place. Please celebrate her. It, I felt like a mother the very first Mother's Day. I knew I was carrying a baby. And at that point, I was, you know, I think I'd known for about three months. It would have meant the world to me if people in, you know, for instance, if you have a daughter-in-law who is expecting, send her a card, (laughs) send her a present. She is a mother whose body is totally devoted to growing another human being. Acknowledge that. If you've been here a while, you may know about my little vendetta against Mother's Day. 
hang with me and please know my heart. I'm a nice person. This is me being confrontation averse. I think we need two Mother's Days, guys. I think people who have small children under their roof and people who do not deserve separate days. Sometimes in some families, we are honoring the oldest matriarch. We are honoring the older generations, which is so important. And I do not want to take away from that. But I also cringe to see my friends with one, two, four young children in their home planning brunch for 15 people, exhausted at the end of Mother's Day. It's okay, but it's not Mother's Day. If you are a mother-in-law, I encourage you to treat your daughter-in-law. Celebrate Mother's Day a different weekend with your kids. Send her to a private spa day by herself. Let her read a book. Let her take a nap. Um, Acknowledge all kinds of mothers. I have an aunt who is a second mom to me. I have had mentors, Sunday school teachers, professors, people in my workplace, people in my personal life. There are a thousand ways to be a mom that don't require uh, birthing a child in L&D. I think all of those people deserve recognition. And um, and I hope that especially this year when everyone feels pretty stretched thin, we allow people who are taking care of the emotional and seemingly endless physical needs of small children not to be the ones who whip up brunch, who drive to their in-laws, drive to their grandparents, exhaust themselves when the day can be about them too. So maybe we have Mother-in-Law's Day and maybe we have Mother's Day. Maybe we have Grandmother's Day. Maybe a quarterly, we're just celebrating something. But that's my little vendetta. And I hope you still know that I love people and I'm not a selfish brat all the time. But sometimes a lady just wants a nap. You know what I'm saying? Mother's Day gift ideas. I love the idea for a grandmother of a journal, a book where she can write notes to her grandchild, family tree, favorite memories, maybe some writing prompts. I love an initial necklace. Uh, Susan Gordon Pottery is something that I send to lots of friends and loved ones um, and have myself. And uh, I think that really anything that encourages a mom with small children to be alone or to be alone with a friend, a gift certificate for brunch with a girlfriend, to a spa treatment, to a night away, all of those things are beautiful things. But honestly, I think the best thing you could do is to write a note to the women in your life who have encouraged you, taught you, walked you through hard things, even if it's unexpected, even if they're not your mother. There, there are a lot of ways to pour into somebody, to add something to their life. And those women deserve to be recognized too. So there are plenty more questions. I'm going through this list that I made. Um, my DMs are full of suggestions and questions and advice. And I absolutely love that. There is literally nothing better than telling other people what they should do and then going around and not doing it yourself. But um, maybe we'll have another Maybe we'll have like a quarterly episode like this. So send me all your things. You can email me at hello at butnotallatonce.com. You can DM me at butnotallatonce on Instagram. We will probably have more frequent updates. We'll be doing um, some more of those chapters of the Banana Popsicle and Frozen Waffle years on Patreon. That is a way that you can enable more women to tell their stories through the podcast at patreon.com slash but not all at once, $3 a month, access to extra episodes, 
videos, conversations, giveaways, everything you can think of. And we're still growing and figuring that space out. I am so thankful that you're here. We've had a lot of new faces, a lot of new ears, earbuds, earlobes. That's creepy. Eardrums. People. We're, we had a lot of new people listen after Rachel Hollis. And so many people were moved by Sangeeta's story of infertility and um, surrogacy and adoption. We have some more heartfelt stories coming up soon. Some stories about deconstructing and rebuilding our faith as grown-ups uh, and figuring out what life looks like at this point when somehow we're the responsible one in the room and we don't know quite how we got here. I'm thankful that you think that Ask Anne, Dear Anne, Dear Annie is wise enough to listen to you. Um, but sharing my thoughts and my heart with you is a gift to me as well. So thank you for your time. You can listen to episodes and learn more about all of the things we're doing at butnotallatonce.com. And until next week, you know where to find me. Y'all take good care. Thank you.